<gasps> so, Devin. <laughs> My dance friends and welcome to my channel today I get to chat with my friend Devin Allfather Devin is a multidisciplinary dancer currently specializing in transnational fusion and theatrical fusion belly dance based out of Austin Texas she teaches online and in person at various studios in Austin including Minx and Muse and inner diva she brings Minot inspired dance and hip-hop style influences into her choreographies and lessons Devin creates elaborate costuming, themes, characters, and props to create a unique performance experience. Devin greatly enjoys bringing her theatrical performance to a variety of audiences. She also owns the Corcorum, her designing business for costumes and accessories, which often go hand in hand with her performance style. Today, Devin's gonna tell us how she got into fusion dance, who some of her biggest dance inspirations are, and how she got into her own costuming business. So without further ado, Here's Devin. Hello. Hello. Hey. It's so lovely to see you. Where are you at? So right now I'm recording from the Minkson Muse, uh, which is a beautiful dance and worship space in Austin, Texas. This is a place that has kept me employed through the pandemic and has allowed me to teach remotely. They were one of the first ones to really get their ish together for teaching remotely. I'm very lucky to have this space. I, like many other people, are very curious to know how you found yourself on the path of dance specifically Minot-inspired fusion dance. I first got started, as many dancers did, uh, studying at the foot of Grandmother YouTube. I would wait every year, this is back in like, you know, the early 2000s, I would see videos coming out out of like, you know, the belly dance superstars and the big fusion festivals that were happening at that time. And also just being inspired by general Google searches for what is this, this thing called belly dance. What is Turkish dance? What is rock sharky? What is Americanized belly dance? What is this thing that I'm looking at? I was just in awe of these dancers. I would just stare at their videos. I would wait every single year because the festivals would happen and of course couldn't afford to go to any of them. But a rash of videos would come out and I would just gawk at these, these performers. And of course I also met um, few Egyptian belly dancers back in Michigan through the dance studio that my mom worked at. So my mom is a ballroom dancer and at her studio there's uh, Egyptian belly dance and things like that. Turkish and Egyptian were the two main forms that were taught there. And I got to take a few classes with those dancers and I got to interact with them. And I remember just being completely in awe of uh, their ability to move their body and how in tune with the music they were. It was like the music was being squeezed out of their body and I loved it and I just sort of put it in the back of my brain for a little bit and then I tooled around, bounced to bound a bit doing other artistic -y things and then uh, saw it at Renaissance fairs, saw a different stylization of the same movements, a different context for those movements and sort of just fell deeper in love and I've been just exploring ever since. You specialize in theatrical fusion dance. So I'm wondering, since you have such a wide range of dance influences, who some of your biggest dance inspirations are? It's gonna read like a belly dancer's greatest hit. It's exactly who you're expecting. So my early work was hugely inspired by uh, the work of Zoe Jakes and Rich Bryce and Marty Love with the Indigo. I would I would watch their videos over and over again. They just had this, um, this lightning in a bottle sort of characteristic to the shows where it was humorous and it was talented and they, they were all greater than the sum of their parts. And then as I sort of matured 
as a dancer a little bit, I started looking to sort of the golden era dancers and finding more inspiration out of like Tehea Karaoke and dancers that sort of came before. My more recent inspirations are dancers that are sort of at the razor's edge of fusion right now. So dancers like Amy Sigyol and April Rose, Rin Ajna, dancers that are incorporating things into their body that aren't necessarily from Manat or Manat inspired dances, things like hip hop, fusion dances that come out of Latin America or out of uh, street dances in the United States. I wish I could name them all. It's a, it would be like a, like a volume this thick of just dancers that I admire. I'm also inspired by my peers and other students. I consider myself a potato dancer in that I just absorb local flavorings. Like whoever I'm with, I haven't quite developed enough as a dancer to really have my own distinctive flavor in that regard. I, I still sort of absorb local temperaments. Whoever I'm, I'm working the most with is usually who I'm the most inspired by. On top of being a dancer, you are also a costume designer. So I would love to hear about Corcorum, your design business but I would love to know how that got started or if there's some inspiration for the type of costuming that you create. Yes, okay, so not to make a, a rather um, off-color metaphor, but you know, when you're a drug dealer, eventually you get into dealing it yourself because you're just using it a ton and a ton and a ton. And that's how it was for me with costuming and jewelry, is I was just so drawn to it, so enamored by it, um, that eventually it was, it was inevitable that I was going to start playing with it and start making my own shapes and making my own pieces that could serve the purpose uh, that I exactly specifically wanted. Because it was very easy to find almost what I was looking for, but not usually the exact thing. Depending on the pieces, sometimes I would even create the costuming work and then work backwards from that. Like I would have silhouette that I knew I wanted to hit. I wanted to hit like Ziegfeld Follies um, in the Pearl Diver, the Pearl costume. But I also wanted to be reminiscent of without directly quoting the sort of um, Orientalist movements of the time. It's never not going to be derivative and it's never not going to be derived out of um, potentially problematic themes. But uh, in a way I can minimize the amount of harm that I'm doing in by transforming those things and putting it on an autonomous dancer in a modern era. I wanted to make stuff. I was drawn to the action of making pieces and of just layering beadwork on top of crystals, on top of fabric and just texture. I was super drawn to that. Um, and my happy place is sort of crafting things that I love. I just sort of let my brain meets go wild and of course there's inspirations and there's derivatives and you know, nothing will ever truly be um, original because I'm a human and I, I have these import ports for new information everywhere but my happy place is just crafting away making pieces I found that there was a, a bit of a market for them that people were drawn to the same sort of textures and color play that I was and of course also I've always been drawn to rocks and minerals so that's how I started making those big old quartz chonk necklaces. Um, was, I already had a hoard, so you know, I started doing something with these pieces instead of just squatting over them like a goblin. And of course the headpieces and stuff, I'm hugely inspired by Helfos Mucha and the, the movements around Art Nouveau, and later the more dainty styles that we see in the 1920s, the sort of Art Deco angular style. Of course I love beadwork dearly. I love appliques. And as far as the materials that I use in my work, it's one of the very few ways that I can quite directly give money back into cultures of origin is by purchasing directly from within those countries in the event that I do use. And I don't use them so much anymore, but when I find it appropriate to use buttons that come from Afghanistan or Egypt, it's one of the few ways that I can quite directly give money. I can literally pay homage to those countries. That's really nice because I know that's a pretty big point of contention and the fusion dance 
realm to be able to source and properly compensate dancers and creators of origin. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of middlemen. There's a lot of, frankly, uh, around it. You know, knowing your sources or having even a trusted second person source is really helpful. And then also gauging when it's appropriate to wear those pieces and in what environment, whether they're a part of a costume that was built specifically for a dance that reflects a Manat culture, or if it was for an environment in which that adornment is expected for your job, which is not a, a great reason, but it it is the reason that, you know, we all sort of need to eat right now, especially during 2020. So going back to your theatrical performance style of dance, I am curious as to how you create your characters. Do you have a specific mode of thought you go into? Do you start with music or a theme or is it different every time? So I have a, a couple of methods of how I arrive at my theatrical uh, characters for, you know, fusion performances. Sometimes I start with a nugget of just a thing that I want and I don't know why or how to make it fit in with the thing, but I, I'll get like a, just a, a snap vision of a thing that I want. In one of the cases, it was the one-armed raven, the, the black crow arm. I was like, I don't know where that's gonna fit future into my life. I, I just really want to make that thing happen. So I worked backwards from an idea. I did mock-ups um, and I did uh, like prototypes of it. And then I built a costuming around it. I found other pieces that would work with it. And then this all just so happened to be around the time when one of my favorite production companies ever, Velvet Knox, was putting on a Gothic literature show. And that pro arm has sort of served me well at other Gothic literature, literally other Gothic literature type shows. Um, as well as other sort of theatrical places. And then there's other costumes like the, the Pearl Diver one where I started with a silhouette first. I knew that I wanted texture. I knew that I wanted the object itself. And then the story developed around that of the, you know, the nurturing of the pearl. <laughs> the way I pitched it to, to Catherine, to one of the producers was like, pearls, but what if, get this, what if they're my eggs? And she was like, gross. I love it. Make it make sense. And then we'll put it in the show. Sometimes I'll start with the, the music. I know it's kind of weird to say I find it a privilege to start with the music first because that means I can make the dance quite honestly rather than like making adjustments for this big crazy headpiece that I'm wearing. I agonize a lot over costuming and about how it's going to read from stage and about who's going to be doing the looking and about where I'm performing, who I'm performing for, what I want the audience to feel and take away from it. So I, I spend a lot of time examining the differences between an archetype and a stereotype. There are some things that I will never touch in my dance probably, and those are you know, religious ideas or executions. It doesn't mean that I feel any kind of way about dancers that do, especially if it's part of their practice. It's just not something that I'm going to do. Um, I just probably wouldn't ever feel comfortable doing it. But there's some dances like the, the Viking or the Ragnarok one where there are touches of religious overtones. In fact, the song that I'm dancing to is Odin uh, Dek Odin, which is literally an invocation to Odin. And the, the character that I'm portraying is a shield maiden. So what I did was I, I you know, researched the piece and researched the character, and there are nuances within that piece that will make sense if you're reading it from the cultural perspective. And that's something that I try to put in to all of my characters, sort of like a, not as an afterthought, but as a thread that runs through um, where if you don't maybe have that cultural knowledge, it's still gonna read as an okay piece. It's still gonna be entertaining. It still will be something, you know, that maybe you would consider booking in your show for a future date. But there's there's those pieces and those nods there that I think give it depth and give it weight for people that sort of know what they're looking at. There's words to be read for people that speak the language. Well, thank you for visiting today, Devin. I know that people can catch you at Minks and Muse, but is there anything 
else you're doing anytime soon? Oh, I'm going to be at Migrations with you. I'll be teaching at the upcoming Migrations World Dance Festival in January. I'll be teaching in person as well as over Zoom. This will be happening Friday of the festival. Friday the 29th. It's entitled Serpent in Eden and it is a fusion Manat inspired piece. Um, there's going to be mostly elements of Raksharki, but there's also things that are strictly Americanized fusion. Our troupe Shunyata is doing yes. its first debut performance at the Red Dwarf in Houston. So our upcoming show with Shunyata is going to be at the Red Dwarf. This is a socially distanced masked event, so be responsible, but please come out and see us. On the 22nd, we are going to be doing a fusion dance show. Some of the dances are classical Raksharki, some of the dances are Turkish-inspired, some of them are Manat-inspired, as well as fusion dances. So expect lots of over-the-top costuming, some bombastic choreographies. I'm still quite green as a performer, so there's going to be growth that takes place over the next few years. Um, there's going to be decisions that I no doubt look back on and cringe. Um, our language around this dance is evolving and the way that we approach making pieces is evolving. Um, so I fully anticipate growing up with this art form and that it will mature. Um, and this is, this is really only my third year of performing. So I'm anticipating a lot of growth and, uh, you know, I'm sure mistakes will be made. <laughs> but to the best of my ability, you know, I really, I really think that all I can do going forward and in, in my previous work is to just continue honoring the voices of uh, dancers of origin and also um, not, you know, ceasing to innovate. Thanks for the visit, Devin. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. That's it, guys. I'm linking all of Devin's information below, as well as information for the studio she currently teaches out of and her upcoming workshop at Migration. You can register for an in-person or online workshop with Devin and many other instructors, including me, at the upcoming Migrations Fest 2021, taking place the last weekend of January. This festival features Donna Mejia and a variety of other instructors, both local and of origin. Thanks so much, guys. In addition to <laughs> your 